Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. My name is Jonathan, and I'm glad that you've decided to join us. So we are going to be continuing on this episode with um, our grace-based recovery training webinars that we've been doing. And uh, this episode is going to cover principle number five, the grace to get back up. And so we're really going to be unpacking uh, in this webinar. I, I spent some time unpacking what it looks like to navigate the inevitable failures along the road to recovery. You know, no one walks the road of recovery perfectly. So we want to learn how to apply grace to failure in recovery and how we can practice the discipline of confession and repentance. So I really hope that this episode blesses you. If you'd like to learn more about the book, Grace-Based Recovery, uh, and the webinars and how to get access to previous webinars and also be able to connect to uh, future webinars, please just go to gracebasedrecovery.com and you can get all the information there. And we hope that this episode blesses you. Take care. So let's focus in on and unpack this fifth principle or this fifth element of grace-based recovery, which is grace to get back up. The main idea in this lesson in the book is that recovery is an imperfect journey of stumbling in the right direction. Therefore, confession and repentance must be core disciplines of recovery. And the key scripture passage for this lesson comes from James 5, 13 through 16. Let me go ahead and just read that to you. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So this lesson is all about recognizing, first of all, that this is an imperfect journey because we are imperfect people in process of recovery. So this means that every single one of us, and I mean every single one of us, that enter into this recovery process will fall. In other words, to put it more bluntly, we will sin along this journey. And so what we need to employ then is this confession and repentance, this understanding that we obviously need to confess before God our sins. We're told in 1 John 1, 9 to confess our sins to God. But we are also here told to confess our sins to one another. So as we journey together, it's the grace of God that affords us the opportunity to come to each other and confess our sins, and there's a healing that comes about in that, and we'll get into that a little bit later. So this first idea is that, or the main idea is that this is an imperfect journey of of stumbling in the right direction, and we're going to need to learn how to confess and repent along the way. These are disciplines of recovery. So let's unpack some key thoughts uh, in this particular lesson. The first key thought is that failure is not fatal. It's actually a learning opportunity. And I want to share with you 
a passage from the book on page 31 in the second paragraph there. It says, so how does failure tie to success? Every failure is an opportunity to learn. Thomas Edison, when asked about his many failed attempts at inventing the light bulb, is quoted as saying, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. So if failure is viewed as a stop sign, you will cease pursuing ways that work. But if failure is seen as an opportunity to learn and correct course, you will eventually see the light. And yes, pun intended. So the idea here is if, if you think that failure is an end, then you will probably drown in your shame and you will, you will not even take the time to explore what happened in that failure. What was going on? What are the learning points? Uh, failure is actually uh, stepping stones to greater success if we will see them as opportunities to learn rather than as a nail in our coffin. And I think this is a difficult mindset a lot of times for, for those of us in recovery because we are coming into recovery carrying a lot of shame. And so any failure, any sin, any stumbling, even in the process of recovery, tends to ignite all of the old shame lies. And those things want to come forward. And usually that will drown out any opportunity for us to hear or see what we could learn from that failure. But we need to press in to analyzing and studying our failures so that we can learn from them. And by learning from them, we will be able to see those temptations that uh, lured us into those failures. And the next time we see those temptations, we go, wait a second, I know where this leads. And I, I learned something from the last time I took a step in that direction. And so I'm going to do something different this time. So failure isn't fatal, and we need to see them as learning opportunities. The next two here is that confession reveals what is hidden, and repentance moves you in the right direction. I, I like to think of confession and repentance as kind of a, kind of a one-two punch, and, and you, need, you need both. See, confession is really just opening a door to let the light in, to show what's in the dark. So think of it like that. Think, imagine that you have a, a closet in your life, metaphorically speaking, and, and inside that closet is all of your you know, addictive sin, all the things that you've been doing that you don't want anybody to know about. Confession is simply saying, okay, I'm now going to open this door, and, and the light can now pour in and simply show and expose what's in the dark, what's in that closet. But that doesn't but just opening the door doesn't actually bring what's in the closet outside of the closet. And that's where repentance comes in. Repentance is sort of the, the movement mechanism uh, as a follow-up to confession. Confession is opening the door. Repentance is actually pulling everything out of the closet. Uh, repent simply means to change the mind. But we know that whatever direction the mind is pointed in, is the direction that we will eventually behave in. I like to put it this way, feet follow focus. Whatever you are focused on is eventually the direction that you will move. And this is why uh, the don't do it mantra never works. Because even if you state something in the negative, you're still focusing on it. So if I, if I get up in the morning and I say, I don't look at porn today, 
well, guess what I'm actually focusing on? I'm still focused on pornography. And even though I put it in the negative, my focus, my mind is set toward it. And so it's likely that I'm eventually going to move in that direction. So this is the why it's so important to attach repentance to confession. Because if I simply confess, then I am, uh, I'm only opening the door and letting the light come in. But repentance is to change the mind and say, I need to move out. I need to, I need to begin to walk in the light and move into the light. So we need to confess so that we can reveal what's hidden, but we need to repent so that we can actually start taking steps in the right direction. And then finally, confession and repentance are, are ongoing. Let me share with you kind of what this looks like from the book on page 33. I actually give here what I kind of call the basic pro progression of this confession and repentance process. So the way that this looks is first, you stumble in some way. Next, you confess what you did to God and trusted friends. Then you unpack the details surrounding the stumble to uncover false beliefs, wrong motives, and other errors in thinking or decision-making. Next, you repent of any untruths in thinking and replace them with the truth of God's word. After that, you construct a plan with trusted friends for a better response to similar temptations down the road. And finally, you pray and keep pressing on. That's kind of the process of what confession and repentance can look like. And so for each stumble, for each sin, this is a way to deal with it, is you give it kind of the one-two punch of confession and repentance. So those are some key thoughts that are brought out in this particular lesson. Now there's some key questions that we must ask in order to kind of keep exploring this and dive deeper. The first question is, why are both confession and repentance necessary when responding to failure? So, to only confess is to only expose what's in the dark, and that means it can remain unmoved. I like to dub these kind of people in recovery what I call serial confessors. They're coming back week in and week out and confessing literally the exact same things, the exact same failures, the exact same stumblings. This shows me that this is a person who has embraced confession, but not repentance. Because the things that are in the dark, they're simply continuing to expose them to the light, but they're not actually, there's no movement. There's no shift. But then you can have the opposite, where you have somebody that's repenting or changing their mind, but not confessing. And that's actually trying to produce transformation apart from humility and community. In other words, this is a person that says, I'm not actually going to open the closet door, but I'm going to try so hard. I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to memorize scripture. I'm going to, I'm going to meditate on these things and I'm going to try to move in this direction, but I am not bringing, I'm not opening the door to that closet. That is essentially a, a Pharisee. That is a person who's saying, I'm going to just by my religious effort, move in the right direction. I was just reading this morning uh, a passage where a, a, a man, a rich man, came to Jesus and he says, what good deed do I need to do to inherit eternal life, to have eternal life? And Jesus says this little commentary about it. Why do you call me good? You know, there's only one who's good. And he says, well, keep the commandments. And the guy says, well, which ones? <laughs> I always think it's funny how we're trying to figure out which ones, you know, which rule do I need to keep? What's the magic rule that I need to keep? 
And he tells him, you know, he says, you know, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor, all this. And the guy says, these I've kept from my birth. Now, that's an interesting statement in and of itself. He's coming to Jesus, obviously recognizing that he still has a deficiency, even though in his own mind, he's kept the law flawlessly. And that's when Jesus hits him in the heart. And he says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the man went away sad because he had great possessions. See, I believe that's an illustration of a guy who's saying, I don't really want to expose the truth about the brokenness in my life, about my greed. I don't actually want to open that closet door, but I will try my darndest to keep the rules. And that's the, that's the idea of a person who's trying to quote unquote repent, have their mind put in the right direction and try to be doing the right thing, but still have a closed heart. So I believe the reason we need both confession and repentance is because yes, we need to expose our hearts and, and the things that we've, we've covered up. We need to expose that to the light, but simply exposing that to the light can still leave us in an unmoved state where we're not actually moving forward. So we need both of those. We need to confess to, to show what's in the dark, but we also need to repent and move in the right direction. Putting those two things together, I think, begin to produce transformation in our lives. Another key question is, why is both confessing to one another and praying for one another important? I think to confess to one another, it reminds us that we're all more alike than we are different. In other words, we're part of a community of broken sinners. When we get brutally honest with each other and we confess and say, let me, let me, let me show you what's in my closet and you can show me what's in your closet, we actually realize as we're digging through our brokenness, we're really not that dissimilar from each other. We may look different. We may have different expressions of our brokenness. But when you really peel back the onion, when you get down to the core, we are far more alike than we are different. And I think that gives us a sense of community. And so confessing to one another helps us realize how much alike we are uh, to each other. But then I think praying for one another then unifies our hearts to seek God together for our hope and his power to transform us. See, there's something about coming together in brokenness, coming together in humility and confession, and then praying to God together that I think unites our hearts toward him. It's, there's, a, there's a sweetness of that fellowship. I also think that prayer prevents comparisons because we come together as broken, as a broken community and pray to God. None of us are coming to God as saying, I'm better than him. I'm better than her. We actually come and say, we're all alike. We are broken sinners and we are looking to you as our only hope for salvation, our only hope for transformation. And together there's, I think, a strengthening of our bond of brotherhood and sisterhood in the confession. And then also the prayer unites our hearts towards seeking God as the only source of real transformation and hope. Another key question is, why is unpacking what happened before and after sinful behavior important? Well, I think the key is because sinful behavior is never just about behavior. Remember I mentioned about feet follow focus, right? There's something that's going on 
in your mind and in your heart. Uh, and, and so confessing and, and unpacking what was going on before and after these events helps to unpack our hearts. What were our motives? What were our thoughts? Where are our passions directed? How is this maybe pointing to some wounds that are still unhealed in our lives? So by examining what was occurring in us and around us before and after a sinful behavior, it provides clues into our heart that allows us to better know how to pray and actually what needs changing. So that's why I think it's important to, to, to unpack all those elements because if we just are looking at the behavior and simply trying to respond only to the behavior and do kind of just behavior modification techniques, then you're probably going to be in for an exhausting recovery journey. And I know plenty of people that are strictly focused on behavior modification and recovery. And these are some of the most exhausted people that I know because they've constantly got to be in a group. They've constantly got to be, you know, managing behavior. And a lot of times it means because they just haven't gotten to the deeper layer, the roots, the heart, the motives, the, the wounds. And when we get down in there and really begin to let the grace of God transform us at that deep level, then we find that we're not having to, quote unquote, manage our recovery all the time or manage our sin all the time. We're seeing real deep transformation happen at a whole new level. Finally, in this, uh, in this lesson, we have a group exercise, and really what the group exercise about, is about is practicing confession and repenting as a group, um, and, and learning how to unpack the before and after. That's, I think, what's really important in this, in this session. So the group exercise um, is going through like that process of confession and repentance, right? So thinking about let's examine what was going on before and after a stumble. What triggered you? Where did your thoughts go? What emotions did you feel? Uh, can you connect any of those emotions to anything in your past, maybe your childhood? What did you feel afterward? What did you think afterward? What did you do afterwards? I think this is a good exercise to, to help us think more deeply about our stumblings so that we can look at them again as a learning opportunity rather than, hey, I failed, I want to confess it and get away from it as soon as, as fast as possible. Instead, confess it and as part of the repentance, really unpack it. Say, God, expose to me my, my heart. What, what are the things that you want to show to me? Confessing and, and processing this with another uh, person or another group of people is also helpful because maybe they can help you see some of the blind spots in your life. And, and by going through some of these key questions, it can help you be much better prepared, I think, for, uh, for future stumblings, but also for future temptations. So let me go ahead and, and stop sharing my screen here. And uh, we will get back here to uh, dealing with some of the, the Q&A so, so I would love to hear your, your questions, um, any questions or comments that you might have about this particular lesson on just grace to get back up and looking at this, you know, this one-two punch of confession and repentance. And of course, if anyone of you would like to even share maybe some of your insights and how this combination of confession and repentance has helped you in your journey or in your ministering to other people in recovery, uh, would love for you to post that in the chat because the chat is where uh, everybody can see those comments. But if you have any questions for me directly, uh, just use the Q&A feature. And uh, I have one question here. What if I think I might be a serial confessor? 
How do I break this pattern? When can I know that I'm out of that cycle? That is a great, great question. So I don't want it to come across as if, if you ever confess the same sin twice that like, oh, throw your hands up. You know, I'm a serial confessor because nothing changed. No, I think the, the, the key is what are you learning and what is moving? So I don't think that, you know, because I think there's categories of confession. Like when we're saying, hey, we're talking about sexual struggles here, right? There's a whole lot. There's a category here of, of maybe what I'm doing with my eyes, what I'm doing in my mind regarding fantasy, what I'm doing in my uh, uh, interactions with others. And so there can be a whole gamut of ways in which we can sin in those areas. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a serial confessor because you're still struggling with sin in those areas. But I think the key is asking yourself those, those strategic questions of, okay, what am I going to learn from this last failure that I had in, in whatever area it is that you confessed? And, and how can I bring more of that out into the light? And, and who am I going to share that with so that they can help me process it? I think all of those are growth elements. It's when, we, it's when we choose to hide and not actually confess and then, or in our confession, start to pick and choose what we want to confess that I think we get into danger. But I also think we need to ask ourselves, you know, how am I growing in this area? What are things that I'm learning? And then how am I applying those growth elements to, to my walk as I move forward? Uh, the other thing too is I think God is very faithful to check our hearts. You know, he, he gives us, you know, these heart checks uh, to where if, if, you, if you're asking this question, I wonder if I struggle as a serial confessor, that may be that God's trying to expose something in you where you're, you're kind of remaining stuck and rigid and saying, I don't really want to bring that fully out into the light. I don't really want to work on that. And so spend some time praying and asking God, show the areas of my heart that I'm still unwilling to actually repent of. Because see, repentance, here's the thing about repentance. Repentance is so tied to obedience. And that's, I think, where we struggle. And I think that's where we can get stuck in serial confessing is, hey, I'm okay to go far enough to actually have the courage to expose what I'm struggling in and the ways that I've failed. But I may not be wanting to engage my will to respond to those failures in obedience to God's word and in obedience to the move of his spirit in my life. When he's actually telling me, okay, for the last month, you, you had a dozen times where you went down those rabbit trails on the internet, or you went down those rabbit trails on your social media. Repenting might look like you need to shut it down. Maybe not forever, but you need to shut it down as the spirit prompting you saying to repent. You know, the, the, the Bible even tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. So the idea is don't do, you know, God may be asking you to obey in a sense that might be painful. You might have this, this idea in your mind that says, could I really go without the internet or without social media for a month? You know, but I think that repentance requires obedience. We need to step into it. Okay, would you say leaving prayer out of the confessing process is similar to leaving repenting out of the confession process? Yeah, absolutely. I think prayer, I think prayer is absolutely vital in all this. Even the, even the passage that was uh, the key passage for this, um, this session 
is confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. Prayer was tied in with even that communal confession. And so I think a lot of times um, we can, uh, we might confess our sins to another brother or to another sister, you know, and, and then that's it. I think it's vital that then we also attach to that praying for one another, because that invites the one who actually has the power to transform our lives to come into the equation. If you and I just confess our sins to one another, there's, there's, some, there's something that I do believe is healing about that in the sense that now we're, I bring something out into the light that I hadn't done before. And that gives you a knowledge about me that you might not have had before. But here's the thing. If we stop there, it's like, where's the power for transformation? If, if we're leaving the power source for the change up to you or me, we're toast. That's, that's not the right power for the transformation. So for you to then take that confession from me, and then we sort of lock arms in prayer, now we are bringing in the one who actually has the ability to transform my heart in that confession that actually has the ability to now expose in my heart the areas that need not only confession but repentance so that then I can take steps of obedience. And, and I can't do that in my own power and by my own will. None of us, we're told that none of us have a desire after God apart from what he puts in us in his spirit. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit, empower me to do the very thing that you want me to do in response to this confession. Okay, we had another question come in here. There is someone in my group who is a serial confessor. How do I confront them in a gracious way? I want to help, but I don't want to come across as holier than thou when I approach them. Fantastic question. Um, this is tough, you know. Uh, because we want to we want to always be careful we want to say okay is there a plank in my eye when i'm seeing the speck in my brother's eye but this doesn't mean even even that passage by the way when when we're told to hey deal with the plank in your eye so that now you can deal with the speck in your brother's eye it never said we weren't to confront one another or that we can't help one another i think the issue is we always need to check our own hearts and say okay is is am i seeing something in my brother or my sister here and maybe I'm highlighting that because I'm seeing that in my own life, or maybe I'm not seeing it in my own life and I need to. So first thing I would say is really check your motives for wanting to confront this person. Am I wanting to confront because I want to, I want to just be about correcting them? Or am I wanting to confront because I want to see my brother or sister thrive and I want to see them really set free? And so really check your own heart about the motives. And then I think in terms of the confrontation, I think it's always important. I always think it softens everything if we will bring it from, uh, from a, a place of empathy. So if I were to, to confront somebody in my group that I feel like is, is in that cycle of serial confessing, first of all, I'd want to pull them aside one-on-one. -on -one. I don't think that's a confrontation that you do in the group setting because that can just bring a whole bunch of uh, unnecessary shame and, and weight on them. But I think pulling them aside and saying, can I, can I maybe challenge you in an area that I have had plenty of experience in, in needing challenge myself and then be able to unpack with them, you know, 
uh, I, I noticed that you have, you've been confessing the exact same thing over and over and over again. And I can only imagine because I've experienced this of just the weight of that. That's got to feel heavy. You've, you've got to have some questions about that. And I'm sure that that's um, a difficult thing because you wouldn't keep coming back to group if there wasn't a part of you that really desired to be free. But I feel like maybe there's a block because maybe you're not stepping further into the repentance piece. And can we maybe talk about that? What are you feeling like are the things that are blocking you from really being able to respond to that temptation in a different way than you have previously? And then just kind of try to open up a conversation about where they are, what they're stuck in, where, where they're not maybe um, responding in obedience or maybe where they're not really receiving the grace that they need for healing. And then that's where a lot of that exploration of the, in this session where it talks about, Hey, what were the triggers? what did you feel? What, you know, all of that, that can help maybe help them also to analyze those failures in a more thorough way because they might just be coming back again and again and again, because they're only seeing it from a behavioral level. Maybe they haven't really been doing any heart exploration. Maybe nobody's ever come alongside them and says, do you realize that your behaviors are actually connected to something deeper in your life? And can we explore that? Because I would love for you to experience deep healing and freedom in your heart and in your soul that then will produce fruit that is good rather than you just kind of going on this merry-go-round that's serial, serial confessing. So that's how I might uh, consider uh, approaching that. Good question. Oh, this is a good question here. Uh, somebody's asking me, what does confession and repentance look like in your own life? You've been on this journey a long time. Thank you. Somebody put all caps on long time. Does it get easier or look different over time? Okay, I love this. Uh, you know, you never graduate from the need of this one-two punch of, of confession and repentance. I still, I stumble on the journey. My stumblings, praise God, don't look like they did 20 years ago. But I, you know, it's not as if I'm somehow uh, out of the flesh, somehow I'm, I'm not tempted by sin or anything like that. I will say that, uh, I do want to say in regards to this, I believe that there is a difference between um, being free from addiction versus being free from temptation. See, I have been set free from my addiction by the grace and power of Jesus Christ. So I am not bound in my addiction anymore. But freedom from temptation will not occur for any of us until Jesus comes back. Until we are either, we either die and are with him or until he comes back. There is not going to be freedom from temptation. Until we are out of this body and out of this flesh. There won't be freedom from temptation. So we have to understand that difference. Therefore, because I'm not free from temptation, I can still stumble. I can stumble in my mind. I can stumble in my behaviors. But here's the thing. Once you have been set free from addiction, being able to, to face temptation, I do believe, gets easier over time. Because as you begin to, to let the grace of God seep down deep into your heart, you let him begin to transform you at a very, very deep level, something happens that I didn't know would happen when I first started recovery. Because I came into recovery the way most people come into recovery. I need, I need just to, I'm doing this and I need to not do that anymore. And so it was very behavior oriented. But as I really, as the grace of God began to penetrate more deeply into my heart and transform my heart, 
what happened that I wasn't expecting was my desires started to change. It didn't mean that I was no longer a sexual being. It didn't mean that I was no longer sexually tempted. It didn't mean I was no longer sexually driven. All of those things are realities that I still possess because I'm made in the image of God as a male. And that's a good thing. God said, it's good that you are made male and female. Those are good things. But here's the thing. My desires began to change in the sense of the things I wanted to pursue and the things I want to have my life revolve around are not the things that I wanted when I was bound up in addiction. And so that's the good news. So because desire changes, then the way you can approach temptation changes. In other words, when temptations come to me now that might have appealed to me 20 years ago, I am seeing them through a whole different grid. The things that I want today are not the things that I wanted back then. I remember the first time I ever, I woke up and uh, this was probably, you know, eight or nine years in my recovery. Now people always, I was, people hate for me to say that because they're like, that's a long time. But about, you know, probably around that time frame, I remember when I woke up one morning and my first thought was, I want to do what's right. Now, previous to that, most of my first thoughts in the morning were more in that don't category. I just don't want to screw up. I don't want to fail today. I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't. And to, so to, to wake up and my first, des, first thought be, I really, I desire to do what's right. It was like, okay, something has changed at a very deep level that's even mysterious to me because I never thought that that could be how I wanted to approach a day. And so because the desires have changed, now temptation cannot have the same kind of appeal in my life. It doesn't mean that I don't feel temptation. It doesn't mean that I don't have any struggles, but it doesn't grip my life. I don't, I don't see it in the same way. I can see it as the, 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 the thief and the liar that it is because I know where those temptations come from. It comes from my enemy. And because he is a liar and he's been a thief and he's been a liar from the beginning, I know that anything that he brings to me is not the truth. And so wherever he's trying to entice me, even though it may have a uh, a hint of pleasure in it, and it might be something that appeals to my flesh, I can go, but I don't really want to go there because I want different things in my life. And so I know that's a long, uh, long answer, but I, I, I want you to know that as you continue to employ confession and repentance and confession and repentance and make that a part of your life, um, it does get easier in the sense of you know how to respond better to temptation and failures but you also learn more because you're willing to look at those failures as a learning opportunity. And then also as you let the grace of God penetrate more deeply into your heart and recognize just how much he does love you and that he has good purposes for you and a good meaning to your life. Then out of that, you begin to move in a different direction. And so the temptations just don't have the same kind of appeal. Okay, there's one final question here. We've got time for one more question here that I'm going to try to address. Is there ever a time to kick out of a group someone who just never seems to be changing or improving? Okay, this is where I, you know, I have a different philosophy than some people. I, um, uh, we, we don't ever have, like in our group that, uh, that I run, um, I, I never have a, you know, three strikes you're out or anything like that. This doesn't mean that we don't continue to bring uh, a sense of challenge and accountability to those who are just, you know, maybe serial confessors. 
I do believe we are told to speak the truth in love. We need to tell the truth to people. And it's like, if somebody is just kind of getting uh, grounded in their, in their brokenness and not really pursuing uh, the right path. And I think there is a point at which we, we press into that person and by pressing in, even pressing in in love, there is a righteous discomfort that I think that can create in a person. I think of it this way. Um, eagles, bald eagles, are, have an interesting way of teaching their young to fly. And what it is, is when they, you know, when they build their nests, first of all, they build them way, way, way up on high cliffs, high mountains. And they build this nest, they, they lay their eggs in it, and this nest is warm, and it's comfortable, and it's protected. And then as the chicks hatch, and as they begin to grow, when the, when the adults, the, the mom and dad eagle, determine the time has come for this chick to fly, the mother will begin to turn up all of the twigs and sticks in the nest. In other words, making it where it's not comfortable to stay in the nest. And so that it will force the chicks to go further and further outside the center of the nest and eventually get up to the ledge. And then in one quick motion, the mom pushes eagle, baby eagle, out of the nest. Now, at first, that seems like, oh, my goodness, this, is this a, you know, is, is mom trying to kill her, her baby? No, she actually knows that if this chick is going to grow and survive and soar, it cannot remain in the nest forever. Now, the good news is, is when mom kicks baby eagle out of the nest, dad is already soaring below. And so as this eagle is flipping and flopping and tumbling and falling, if on the first attempt, the eagle, the baby eagle can't figure it out and can't get its wings working or whatever. Dad swoops in, catches baby, takes him back up, lets him catch his breath because he's probably hyperventilating, right? And then they do it all over again. So I think this is maybe a picture of how we as brothers and sisters in Christ who want to sharpen each other, who want to see each other grow, can maybe press into the lives of those who are getting a little too comfortable in the nest. We don't want to make it comfortable for people to keep sinning. We actually want to say, no, you were made to soar. You were made to mount up with wings as eagles and live out the purpose and the meaning for which God made you. And it isn't to stay in a nest where sin is comfortable. Hey listeners, I hope that that was a good episode for you. Are you inspired to get back up and, and soar with wings like eagles? I sure hope so. And I hope that you're out there creating environments that are grace-based where people can have the freedom to stumble in the right direction. Um, if you'd like more help or more information about the book and how to get access to that and the other webinars, simply go to gracebasedrecovery.com. And we are so glad that you're listeners to the Pure Sex Radio program, and we look forward to having you back here again next time. So take care and have a great day. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.